So, John, what are you doing for Christmas holidays this year? Getting away from you. Oh, lovely. Well, too bad because I'm also going to Queensland <laughs> this Christmas, so you're not really getting away from me. Great. <laughs> Hello. This is the Recommended Retail Podcast, the RRP that talks all things retail. I'll be your host, Chloe McKenzie, from Dropship Zone, Australia's leading B2B2C marketplace. In this special edition of the RRP, I'll be joined by the most sarcastic man to step foot into our office, John Barkle. As our head of brand and general manager here at Dropship Zone, John will be in the hot seat, addressing some of your most asked questions about dropshipping, Dropship Zone, and B2B2C e-commerce. From fallacies to faulty products, we're covering all in this episode. Interesting intro. Didn't see that script, Chloe. Welcome, John. Welcome to the RFP. Thanks for joining us today. It's quite the role reversal. Yeah. How does it feel to be in the hot seat? I feel like you're the one in the hot seat. You're the <laughs> one hosting it now. Well, before we get started, tell us about yourself. I mean, I hear it every day, but I'm sure our listeners would love to know a bit about the man behind the microphone. What's your background and what is the role that you play at Dropship Zone? Pretty sure people can just find that out by looking at my LinkedIn. Oh, some people might not have LinkedIn. You don't know. Oh, yeah, right. Okay, so I've been in the media, marketing and advertising industry for 12 years. I started out on agency side, working on small businesses, performance marketing. So that's uh, paid Google paid Bing and some paid social. And then I went over to one of the big four agencies to work on Queensland government and also on some tourism clients. And then I came to Melbourne, worked for another one of the big four, working on, surprise, surprise, Victorian government. And I think once I'd had a gut full of booking road safety campaigns and not getting in on the action of retail, I took an opportunity at uh, my deal. And um, was there for six years, did some amazing things, watched the business grow into the amazing business that it is now. And now I've come over to Dropship Zone to do it all again and make Dropship Zone famous to Australian small to medium businesses, which is really exciting. And uh, it definitely, it genuinely gets me up in the morning. Yeah, wow. You've got quite the resume on you. 12 years, 12 years ago, I was a child. So you've definitely got some experience under your belt. Approaching my 31st birthday, that's exactly why I want to hear that I'm just getting older and older. (laughs) Hey, 12 years for 31 is pretty remarkable. I think we're pretty lucky to have you at Dropship Zone, as much as I hate to admit that. Thank you. (laughs) But tell us about Dropship Zone, because we might have some listeners who probably are unfamiliar with Dropship Zone. So in its most simple terms, how does Dropship Zone help Aussie SMEs? Dropship Zone is a B2B2C marketplace. So we know that the pain points for small to medium retailers is often around getting good product at good price. And so Dropship Zone is a platform that seeks to eliminate that barrier of entry. So under the old wholesale model, retailers would need to buy a quantity of stock or an MOQ, minimum order quantity, which they would need to then store in their warehouse and then pick, pack, and send it with a last-mile logistics operation. And that is a lot of capital. And therefore, not having access to that capital, you can't get that operation up and running without some significant backing. What Dropship Zone does is it gives small to medium e-commerce retailers access to good product at competitive prices, and it means that they don't need to touch the product. 
So they can start this business up in their home, in their garage, and many have. And it enables scale because of the zero inventory solution that it offers. And so what we've seen is some big retailers today start their operation over a decade ago using the dropship model. And for me, I feel like the dropship model uh, for small to medium retailers trying to compete online is a far more compatible model than, say, the traditional wholesale one. Right. And with the dropship model, this is not something that's new. Dropshipping has been around for, like a, I think, a couple of years now, or it's really grown in the last couple. Tell us about dropshipping and how it differs from the traditional wholesale model. The difference is, is the way that the product is moved. So as I said, under the old wholesale model, you buy on a quantity basis usually. And that means that you would accept the risk of that too. But the, with the dropshipping model, uh, the retailer never actually sees the product. It's shipped directly from whoever holds the product. So in this case, on the, on the dropship zone model, the supplier, uh, directly to the consumer. And the retailer is able to make a margin that they add on to the price of the dropship. It means that they only make an order when they receive an order. So there's a, there's risk, there's, the risk in that is so minimal because they're not having to hold the product. Holding product presents all kinds of challenges. You have to sell it. You have to clear through it. The longer it's sitting in your warehouse, the more it's costing you money and eating into the margin. But that doesn't happen under the dropship model. What's more is you don't need a warehouse. Mm-hmm. Warehouses are enormously complicated to start up, to uh, scale up, uh, to operate. There's enormous enterprise risk involved in, in, in warehousing from employee safety to doing the right processes to having the right logistic operation. Um, there's just enormous amount of scale that's required to, to get these things right. And so that's something that small to medium retailers are not going to have to be, you know, to be able to get started. So that's why dropshipping eliminates a lot of those barriers. And Dropship Zone sort of acts as a platform between suppliers and retailers for retailers to send to the end consumer. So that's where the B to B to C comes. Correct. Into play, so right? let's go to the B to C marketplace model. B to C marketplace connects retail suppliers or sellers with the end consumer. So a transaction occurs on that as a platform. The sellers offer their product for sale on the marketplace. The end consumer purchase it through the marketplace, that transaction happens seamlessly, and then the seller sends the product directly to the end consumer. So the marketplace never sees the product. Mm-hmm. Dropship Zone is a B2B2C marketplace, so it's one step up the supply chain. So in actual fact, the retailers have the, uh, have the relationship with the end consumer. When the end consumer makes a purchase through that retailer, the retailer will then make that dropship order through Dropship Zone as a marketplace or the, as a platform through to the supplier, and the supplier will then ship directly to the end consumer. So similar to B two C, the marketplace never sees the product, and indeed the retailer never sees the product. And so what we have here is therefore one step up the supply chain in terms of that marketplace model. That's interesting, and I know that we have seen a saturation almost of B two C marketplaces. But I want to touch on B2B. So this year has been quite big for B2B e-commerce. In June, I think Shopify launched their B2B marketplace function and Dropship Zone launched their B2B marketplace. So I want to know from your point of view, why has there been such a shift in focus from B2C to B2B? 
I think it's the natural progression of the maturity in e-commerce. So prior to marketplaces becoming in vogue, as I used to describe it um, here in Australia, you really only had one marketplace that's been here since the dawn of time of e-commerce, which is eBay and their subsidiary Gumtree. I would say that my deal was the first mover uh, in terms of launching its marketplace in circa 2016, 17. Um, and then that started the avalanche. Amazon came, Catch and Kogan started their own marketplaces, bolting on to their already successful businesses. Mm-hmm. And also um, then now what we're seeing is is more and more traditional retailers launching marketplaces as part of their part of their growth strategy. So you've got the likes of Bunnings with their own marketplace, Woolies, they've got their own marketplace uh, indeed, so does the likes of Baby Bunting, Barbecues Galore. So you're seeing a lot of specialty marketplaces rising. But no one's playing in the B2B space. And suddenly someone's remembered that small business is the backbone of the Australian economy. More did you know that more than 50% of Australians are employed by a small business. Small business is the biggest employer in Australia. Wow. And no one is catering to them. No one is looking at them in an e-commerce lens. It was the natural progression and the maturity that somehow someone would come in and do this. Now, Dropship Zone has been around since 2012 and has been doing this with New Aim's own products. And the exciting, I guess, chapter in this story is that opening it up to third-party suppliers makes Dropship Zone more of an independent platform and far more accessible for retailers that don't necessarily play in the furniture and homeware space because now we're going to be able to offer products of all different kinds of categories. And that's really exciting because that will attract a different kind of retailer and there will be more opportunities to be able to dropship all kinds of products that you've never seen before. But Shopify Definitely uh, looking to B2B, but there are many, many others that are looking to B2B. And again, as usual, Australia looks to overseas to see what's going on, say, North America and Europe in and Asia, of course, so can't ignore AliExpress. These guys are already doing a lot of this B2B e-commerce uh, abroad, and it was the natural progression that Australia would eventually catch up to that. Yeah, because I think Shopify's B2B function is actually still wholesaling. Correct. Yeah. So we're the first of our B2B to see kind. We're the only marketplace uh, in Australia operating with the dropship model. And from my perspective, it means that we can attract some very small, nimble, but successful players, the next generation of e-commerce businesses here in this country who are already being highly successful, wildly successful on channels that are non-traditional in the sense of what we've been used to in the last 10 years on e-commerce. They are highly successful on social commerce like Instagram and TikTok. And if you look at the trends and the way that the demographics are flowing, that is the future. So what we're doing is setting up retailers to be able to capture the next big thing in terms of where consumers are going. Yeah, that's Very exciting. I think very exciting as someone that's in the Dropship Zone team to see what this is going to turn into. I'm sure it's exciting for you as general manager of Dropship Zone to see how this plays out. Onto the fun stuff though. We have some questions. I've looked online through our socials and found some interesting, hard-hitting questions about dropshipping in particular that I would love your take on. So the first one A popular e-commerce entrepreneur has taken to TikTok and Instagram in the last week to address dropshipping. 
Now, this person claims that dropshipping is, quote, high risk, low reward. They've stated that if you are dropshipping your products, the chances are your products are low quality, cheap, and have a high faulty rate. They've made the bold statement that dropshippers usually end up losing any money they've made on returns and refunds. What is your take on this? I'd ask him to cite any examples on that because whoever that person is, is making broad statements without being specific. The reality is, is that dropshipping is low risk. It's more, it's highly more risk than to have importing a product, holding it, realising that you can't sell it and then having to clear it at below what you paid for it in cost. And we've seen ASX listed businesses go through that situation where they ordered high and they weren't able to clear through the stock and it's hit their bottom line. So to sit there and make broad sweeping statements attacking a model that he clearly doesn't have any idea about <laughs> is as uh, ridiculous. He or she. He or she, but, you know, it is not interested in, um, unless you're going to give me specifics, of course there's risk. That's why a marketplace, the dynamics of a marketplace like Dropship Zone will protect retailers and indeed end consumers from that risk of a faulty rate or having uh, low quality products because the reality is is the Dropship Zone is just as much a curated marketplace as any of the other curated B2C marketplaces operating in Australia. It's not a free-for-all. We are stringent in our due diligence of who can sell on Dropship Zone. They have to have credibility already. They have to have an operation, a logistics operation that's operating here in Australia. They have to have a good, uh, they have to show good feedback from consumers already. So we're talking about reviews and they have to have a commitment to things like customer service and quality assurance. Without those things, they're not getting started on Dropship Zone because we are in the business of protecting our retailers. They are our customers. So if we're in the game of putting the customer first, they're the ones who we need to protect. It's their businesses and interests that we're protecting and we're never going to allow cowboys to sell on dropship zone. Right. And then I guess another thing that plays into that as well is that our suppliers have to be based in Australia. 100%. Yeah. That's right. That's a, that's a core fundamental and there's a couple of reasons for that. If we know that our suppliers, and New Aim is a supplier, yeah. if we know that New Aim yeah. and we know that our third-party suppliers are operating, have a logistics operation here in Australia, so the product is here in Australia before it gets shipped to, to the end consumer, then we know that the delivery window is going to be within consumer expectations. We can, to the best of our ability, control that. Obviously, there's floods, fire, pandemic, things get in, you know, but that's that would be an industry trend rather than specific to a supplier. So we're mitigating risk there. And by having them already operating on B2C marketplaces, we can see consumer feedback. We can we know what the products they're selling are. We know the level of quality that there is. By being able to test them in terms of customer service, we're limiting so much risk. And there's therefore so much opportunity for retailers to be able to succeed. But to simply throw something out there and say that attack the model without really having any sort of specific examples sounds to me like you're just trying to make a name for yourself. Yeah, right. So you would say that dropshipping is actually high reward, low risk. Absolutely. And I'm more than happy to debate anyone on that concept. It annoys me that dropshipping gets this ugly name these days. It's not sexy. Fine. It sounds to me that then having your own warehouse and shipping your own products is sexy, but that's that's also not reflected in a lot of EBITDA around the country at the moment. So, you know, you show me the bottom line and I'll show you a sexier one through dropshipping. 
Just on that, do you think that dropshipping has gotten a bad name from its origins of people maybe dropshipping products from overseas where they they can't really see the standard of product that they are dropshipping? 100% it has. Dropshipping started in in the wild west of e-commerce along with a lot of other e-commerce concepts. So did the concept of a marketplace. So did the concept of e-commerce. used to be high risk. The reason everyone or even a lot of people use PayPal when using e-commerce is because the protections that it gives the consumer. It comes from those days of the wild west of e-commerce, but it's far more mature now. It's far more, there's more stringent practices put in place. You know, the acquisition of my deal by Woolworths, the acquisition of catch by West Farmers means that there's a lot more corporate governance and, and risk mitigation that's going to be put in place, a lot more maturity that will be added, that'll be wrapped up in that e-commerce experience. And so it's a far more sophisticated environment now than it was 20 years ago or 15 years ago. And so um, we're here to change the reputation of dropshipping. Right. Yeah, definitely. You've made some good points there about how dropshipping has matured and it's there's more governance on what the standard is with dropshipping. But we have another user that has asked a question that I actually think is, I'd love to know your answer on this. So many people believe that Dropshipping causes marketplaces to be flooded with the same product. One user even commented, so that's why Amazon is saturated with the same rubbish. And I know we just touched on how dropshipping has matured, but that still doesn't take away the fact that retailers can sell or they have access to the same products. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's incumbent upon retailers to resist the temptation to make marketplace the centerpiece of their channel strategy or their marketing strategy. Mm-hmm. Because those retailers that are using the dropship model are not going to be able to compete with the original suppliers of that product because it's likely they're already on B2C marketplace. Right. So they need to diversify their channel strategy. I've touched on social commerce, which I think is the next big thing. And we've seen retailers be wildly successful with that. And that's also an area where they can play. But also it's incumbent upon retailers to do good retailing, which is to build up their own customer base, build up a D2C channel that they can continue to market to. That's an owned channel an asset in their business that if they have and they build up to a substantial scale is enormously powerful for them. It means they can do other things. It means they can enter new markets, enter new product categories, do a whole load of things that a very small micro business may not be able to do. So owning the customer is really important as well. And they'll never do that when they're on a B2C marketplace. Right, because the marketplace owns the customer. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Another question, this touches on shipping with dropshipping. So we know that the supplier is responsible for for shipping the product to the end consumer. One user on Instagram has claimed that some of her dropship products didn't reach their customer. They've said that dropshipping, that with dropshipping, sometimes the product doesn't arrive and then the supplier doesn't take responsibility. Does this mean that the person that owns the website takes this loss? Or who is who takes loss for when a product isn't shipped correctly to a customer? I'll start my answer by going about what I said before is that retailers are our customers. So if we're in the business of putting the customer first, then we're always naturally going to err on the side of the retailer by default. It is the responsibility of the supplier to fulfill the order and get it to the consumer, just like it would be on a B2C marketplace. We're not going to hold customers accountable for not being able to receive a fulfilled order mm-hmm. any more than we're going to do that with retailers. So it is incumbent upon the supplier to make sure that the 
that the that the order is fulfilled and the and the order is received by the end customer um, at all times. And our policies reflect that. So in each case, there are nuances. In each case, there are things that are different. But as a as a general mantra, that's our approach: is to ensure when things go wrong, that we get it fixed up quickly and with due process. But with that with that ultimate goal in mind, that we're putting the end customer first and by proxy, therefore, the retailer. Right. So our retailers obviously have protection of situations like that because they're with dropship zone. Correct. We have processes implemented to ensure that their issue gets resolved. Yeah, and just like a B2C marketplace, we monitor the performance of our suppliers carefully. So we look at their faulty rate. We look at their order fulfillment rate. We also monitor how quickly they're dispatching products. We also monitor how uh, long those products are taking to arrive. Yeah. We look at customer service tickets coming through. All of this is to adjudicate the performance of a supplier. And where we have issues, we step in. So that's the difference of being a curated marketplace versus, say, being one that is not. We hold our suppliers accountable. We have due diligence in process uh, in place when we onboard them. We spend some time through that onboarding process testing them. We have test orders. We let them sell a few products, we let them scale slowly so we can adjudicate as to what kind of volume they can handle. And then we, we we will then continually monitor and provide feedback. So you have this ongoing feedback loop where, we're, where everyone's always under a performance review because things change, things happen, external things happen. But it's always important in my experience, that we continue when things go wrong, that we get them addressed quickly because there is an end consumer in this equation that, yeah. that will be waiting on an answer to all of this and all they want to do at the end of the day is get the product, right? Yeah. But also it's important that we keep those lines of communication open so that if we do foresee that there is some big impact to, say, the supply chain or to air last mile logistics, for example, so flood, fire, that we also communicate that to the retailers so they can be on the front foot and can be proactive in in communicating that to their end consumers. Right. Moving on. A popular Australian Facebook group for girls, this is a funny one, has come to the conclusion that dropshipping is a pyramid scheme. (laughs) What have you got to say about this? It's the opposite of a pyramid scheme. Pyramid scheme means you've got to buy the product and hold it. I've just done a whole lecture about (laughs) the difference between wholesale and dropshipping wholesale requires MOQ, a pyramid scheme, or that's what they called it before 2000. Now it's called multi-level yeah. marketing, I think. And MLM. Yes. Oh, it's got an acronym now, see? Yeah. They're, they're just evolved. To, it's polishing a turd. But anyway, <laughs> what they're uh, what we're talking about here is is reselling products to people who then have to continually resell it down the line, right? Yeah. So every time that product moves, changes hands, the person that catches the ball gets the product, they're, they're in the hot seat. They're, they're the ones wearing all the risk. Mm-hmm. Everyone up the pyramid has made their money and it just continues to go down. That's not dropshipping. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, the retailer has no risk. They're not holding the product. So once again, we're seeing fake news. Yeah, misinformation. Misinformation on social media. And I, I love that people can just put it an opinion out there without ever being called out on it or yeah. fact check. Mm-hmm. When I book a TV ad, it's got to go through what's called a cat approval process and they they go through it with a fine-tooth comb. I mean, seriously, you make one claim and they'll want to see documentation. It's like doing a, a, it's like doing a, a VDD. 
I mean, there's none of that that exists on social media. Someone in a group can just post a wild claim like that. About being an MLM. I actually, um, just on that, I this question actually stemmed because a e-commerce figure, I, I had no idea who they were. They were actually selling courses on e-commerce with a focus on dropshipping, but they weren't actually addressing dropshipping. For anyone listening out there that wants to learn about dropshipping, do you recommend they purchase courses or do you think the information online is sufficient enough to answer their questions about dropshipping? That feels more like a pyramid scheme yeah. or, or something dodgy than anything <laughs> I've ever heard of. Don't purchase a course on dropshipping. It's a very easy concept to grasp. If you are interested in bettering yourself or improving your competency in this space, do a general e-commerce course, do a digital marketing course, do a course about customer experience, do a course about website design, do a course about product innovation. Because those tools are not only transposable across multiple areas, but they're also much more detailed. They are much better quality, right? If someone's offering a course on dropship, it's, I feel like that's like buying a, a motivational 101 course to yeah. make, me, make me feel better about life. I, I, Anyway, it doesn't work for me. Go to dropshipzone.com.au. We're we're building a learn centre. We're going to put a lot of content out next year in 2023 for free. We're going to be doing videos. We're going to be doing uh, long-form blogs. We're going to be putting out white papers. Um, There's going to be a lot more material in 2023 that we are basically going to gift to the Australian retail community about dropshipping that they'll get far more out of than some kind of $299 course. Yeah. I feel like as well, like we also have like account managers and people that work within the dropship zone team that can help people help themselves. But this is the, this is the difference I think for a dropship zone compared to um, other B2B marketplaces is that um, we not only are more curated, but we have a key, a big focus on key account management. So it's not self-serve, it's not plug and play and we let, let you crash and burn or succeed and win. Um, we are very interested in in the retailers and suppliers' success. We work with both sides of the marketplace. Uh, we know them on a first-name basis. We know these people very well. Um, we work very closely with them. Yeah. And that's part of the strategy is that we want that focus on key account management. We want that focus on being able to help each and every one of our retailers and suppliers succeed. Yeah. Now, that doesn't always happen and there's any number of reasons for that. But we get very interested in those reasons. So we have some wrap-up questions just for you to reflect on the year. What have been the most pivotal moments for Dropship Zone this year? If you had to do it all again, what would you have done differently? Most pivotal moments, I think, is two things. One is launching the supplier program. Opening up Dropship Zone to the suppliers was a key turning point, which led to the next big thing, which was the launch of Dropship Zone as a B2B2C marketplace, the only one of its kind in Australia because it utilises the dropship model and offers a whole new dimension for our current and new retailers because we're going to have products being dropshipped, not just from New Aim, but from third-party suppliers who, quite frankly, do very, very well in other product categories. And that, I think, is an exciting value proposition for retailers and their customers. As for doing it all again or doing it any differently, I, I don't I don't necessarily take a retrospective approach like that. In my view, hindsight is always twenty twenty. I don't regret things in that or would do things differently. 
other than the fact that I'm always an impatient person. So if it could have been done faster, then I would like to have seen it done faster. But other than that, I think that being able to pull off a transition to marketplace in less than six months is already an outlandish and, and, and lofty achievement that we should all be very proud of. But now I'm just hungry for the next big thing and the next stuff that we want to do. November, Black Friday, Click Frenzy, December, Christmas and Boxing Day. It's such a distraction from wanting to do some other big projects. You're, you're absolutely down there in the trenches focused on sales and selling. And I think anyone in e-commerce or retail will be with me on that. We're just absolutely focused on just getting the, getting the, getting the job done on those really key promotional events. So everything else then gets put to the side. The urgent crowds out the important, and that's a little frustrating, but you know, we'll be back in January and we'll be doing some really big things January onwards. Yeah, definitely. The last six months, I agree. We've definitely achieved a lot. But what would you like to achieve in the next 12 months? What's on your scope? I describe uh, 2023 often to colleagues as what's going to be the year of the integration. I, I've almost become obsessive with this thing. Dropship Zone needs to become more native to its retailers' platforms and its suppliers' platforms. And that's an ambition that I intend to carry into 2023. So we'll be building more integrations, we'll be offering more services, and we'll be providing a more seamless native experience for both suppliers and retailers. Talking about integrations, can you give us maybe an example of what sort of integrations you're hoping yeah, to sure. have? So, for example, uh, our retailers can integrate via... Shopify's native app, which is Sofatig, or it, they can integrate via an API or a CSV. But I would like to be able to see more nativity in terms of what we offer for Shopify across other significant e-commerce platforms, such as WooCommerce. Uh, I'd like to see uh, that's, that level of integration and nativity exist for those platforms as well, uh, to be able to offer more to our retailers who are reliant on API, which requires more technical competency, which they may not have, or CSV, which is a little clunky. Yeah, great, exciting stuff. What's your end goal for Dropship Zone? To be the leading marketplace in the Asia Pacific for B2B2C. Wow, big goals. Big goals. And I like ambition. I like having a moonshot goal. Yeah. And when we talk about OKRs here and things like that, we do have a big, hairy, audacious goal. Yeah. We we should always strive to have that. Um, but I, I think that's pretty cool, th- getting up in the morning and thinking about building something that is in today. What could be, what could it look like in five years? Yeah. So your time frame for that end goal, would you say is five years? I wouldn't ever try and do anything in my mind longer than five years. Yeah. I think if you say where I want to be in 10 years, 2010, I was just starting out in the industry. I wouldn't have thought that Ten years later, I would be involved in a highly complex and exciting IPO for an e-commerce brand, you know. Mm-hmm. And so from a personal and professional goal, I don't think that five years, anything after five years starts getting into the territory of fantasy. Yeah. I mean, look at the Department of Treasury. When they put out a budget, when the federal government puts out a budget, they only do four years, called the forward estimates. They only estimate after four years. After that, no one cares. No one you knows. Can say what, you can say what you want, but... It'll all change anyway. They can't even get estimations right in one year. (laughs) Um, And other than integration, is there anything exciting in the works for Dropship Zone? Watch this space in January. We're going to look very, very differently. Someone who's obsessed with brand and 
and and all the fun things that comes with that, Dropship Zone is getting a makeover and we will be very excited to share that with everyone in January 2023. A new look for Dropship Zone. Why are you surprised? You, you've been involved <laughs> in this project. <laughs> Talking cryptic. <laughs> now, to end the episode and to end the year, if you could have anyone in the world to come onto the podcast, who would it be and, more importantly, why? All right, inside the industry? Yes. Christine Holgate. Christine Holgate, for those with, well, like Chloe, who has absolutely no idea by the look of her face, (laughs) Christine Holgate was probably one of the most interesting and innovative CEOs of Australia Post who was um, unceremoniously attacked for political reasons uh, and left. Now she's over at Toll and I think that uh, Toll should be looking like the cat that got the cream because with the talent of that leader in our industry, Toll's in a very, very competitive, advantageous position. Outside of the industry, Buddy Franklin. Again, you don't know who that is, do you? No. <laughs> this is why you're the host and I just press the buttons. <laughs> yep. So this is disappointing. Uh, Buddy Franklin, everyone knows who it is. I'm not even going to explain it. But other than the fact that he kicked that thousandth goal at the SCG earlier this year and with everyone running onto the field, I think he'd have some really cool stories just to tell us. And I also would love to meet him. So AFL? Yes, it's AFL. Okay. we, We can cut this now. Yeah. Wait, we don't have to include this bit, but I do have a question for you. What, what, who's the first person that you said? Christine Holgate. Christine Holgate. Is she the one that got sacked because of the thing with the watches? Yep. Right. Yeah, I do know who that yeah, is. Yeah, it was disgusting. <gasps> Had it been a man in that position, this would never have been questioned. It would never have been questioned. But because it was a the government of the day was under pressure to get things through the Senate and, uh, and some certain senators who have zero credibility, in my opinion, when it comes to business, um, decided that they were going to take umbrage with an organisation that's supposed to be at arm's length from the government in the first place. The Prime Minister at the time took it upon himself to be, as he has done many times, a bulldozer and knock over or run over anyone who was in his way. And on that particular day, it happened to be Christine Holgate. Mm. As a result of which, Australia Post, which is a pretty important organisation in this country when it comes to e-commerce, lost a titan in e-commerce and therefore a hell of a lot of talent and poorer they be for it. Well, Miss Holgate, come on board. John, love to meet you. Buddy Franklin, we've got no, no AFL. We got no, we've got no hope. Yeah. We, look, maybe we'll get our views up. Maybe that'll be our strategy for next quarter. Get someone famous to come on. All right, that's all we have time for today. Thank you, Chloe. I'll take over from here. And if you'd like Chloe to host the show on a permanent basis and give me a permanent holiday, by all means, write to noreply at dropshipzone.com.au with your opinion. But thank you to all of our listeners who tuned in to our 2022 wrap-up edition of the Recommended Retail Podcast, brought to you by Dropship Zone, Australia's leading B2B2C marketplace. Now, as always, if you're interested in learning more, head on over to dropshipzone.com.au or our Instagram handle, dropshipzoneau. See you next month. Have a very Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and happy selling. We'll see you bright and early in January 2023.